0: right well let's uh let's open up in prayer heavenly father we uh, thank you for this day that you've given to us we thank you for your mercies which are new this morning and we thank you for your kindness to us in your son that we can have a, a great confidence as ones who have been saved by your grace been saved by his work in the gospel lord that you will tend to us that you will give us all that we need to be able to glorify you And, and in fact because of christ we can glorify you and so father we just rejoice in in that and yet there's much more to rejoice in being here together with these men on a thursday morning as part of gilbert bible church to look at your word and to sharpen and be equipped and be strengthened, uh, Lord, we pray that you would use these efforts as a means of maturing us, as, uh, of bringing us along in our faith, that we would be found complete in you, even, even perfect, meaning mature, uh, in Christ, Lord. And we know that we will never be morally perfect until the day we are with you and we see Christ and we are like him. Uh, Lord, but we, we long to be mature, we long to be faithful, we long to be diligent and holy and godly and useful vessels for your for your glory and for your work. And so, Lord, we just pray for uh, these next couple years as we work through various material, uh, Lord, I pray that your word would be at the forefront of what instructs us and, and what we uh, seek to know and understand and grow in. And Lord, I pray that we would be a means of, of helping one another grow in godliness and wisdom as we live out your word for you. And Lord, we thank you again that we can be together. We pray that you would bless this morning, bless uh, these efforts and, and this time and, and really uh, this program uh, for Gilbert Bible Church. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, hopefully you all got some coffee and something to eat. If you wanted that, feel free to go get refills at any time. Uh, welcome. This is just absolutely thrilling to be together in this way as part of Gilbert Bible Church and to, to start this, this program together. Uh, we have decided on what we're going to call this thing. And so with uh, Sam's help and some collaboration, Uh, Welcome to Equipping Men Ministry, which will be the formal name, and we're gonna call it EQ for short. So kind of shorthand, we'll call it EQ, EQ for men, EQ for women. And uh, the point is that we want to uh, as, as elders of Gilbert Bible Church, equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's the call first from Scripture for the role of a pastor elder as they shepherd the flock. One of the means of their shepherding is that they would intentionally equip the flock for the work of ministry. And I, I want to talk a little bit just about the purpose of, of what we're going to be doing together. Why, why do we have EQ? What are we going after in this ministry uh, as, as a church, and you should have it in your folder there. If you open up to the first page, you can see our, our uh, schedule, and uh, we'll be meeting as men on Thursday mornings from 6 to 7.30. We're gonna work really hard to honor that time. We'll spend the first hour together in here in this way, and then we'll split for the last half hour into a couple groups for further discussion, and I'll um, break you guys up into the groups that we have set for those participating uh, when it's time to do so. You can see the schedule there. This is for the first year. So you can see the first semester schedule, the second semester schedule, and then we have additional material for the second year. Uh, but we're just we're just putting this in front of us for now because this, as the first time that we're going through, all of this is subject to change. And so if we find it beneficial to kind of settle in on a topic or adjust, uh, we'll do that and I'll keep you informed. But just so you have an idea Of kind of some of the main main topics that we'll be covering this year uh, you can see that there if you turn to the next page we have our outline for today that we'll be working through and then just so that you kind of know your binder we'll we'll have inserts that we bring each session for you to put in your binder we'll have them on the tables out there so when you come in you can grab an insert put it in your binder and um, and we'll just kind of build upon uh, our our content as we go. If you look at the tab, there's a resources section. So if you kind of see that tab in your binder and the first page in the resource section is the, the review all the Old Testament themes. This is just general. If you were to summarize in a word or two what each book of the Old Testament is about, here's just a quick reference for that. New Testament themes, um, there's a sheet there on the Old Testament story. You can just, I'm, I'm visual. I benefit from, from seeing things visually. You can see where the books kind of fit together in the chronology of the Old Testament, how they work together there. And then the next page is laminated. And this is one we're going to review very regularly. And we're going to look at key dates together and just ingrain them in our minds. As well, if you look at the backside of that, there's key events of the Old Testament. We're going to work through this key event chart just to ingrain in us a chronology of kind of the the significant major events that took place uh, from creation within the Old Testament. Uh, And hopefully that'll be a benefit for all of us as we seek to grow in biblical literacy. And then there's just an example for a Bible reading plan, and we'll talk about that a little bit also as we go. So... That's just getting to know your binder a little bit. As we think about what is the purpose of EQ, what are we going after as a ministry, you should have it there in your outline. It is this, to equip and encourage men and women of Gilbert Bible Church to shepherd their hearts towards Jesus with the word of God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. What does it mean to shepherd your heart? (coughs) Excuse me. What does it mean to shepherd your heart with the word of God? But for our purpose now, to equip and encourage men and women of Gilbert Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus with the word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus maturing in the faith and being a means of strengthening the church in its gospel purpose for the glory of God. That's what we're going after here. That's the, that's the big picture. Now, shepherding your heart is a, uh, a term that is very familiar to us if you've been a part of Grace Bible Church in the past. Uh, I've heard it elsewhere, but I've predominantly heard it from Grace Bible Church. And so it's important that we understand what we mean when we say shepherd your heart. What do we mean by shepherding our heart? Well, shepherding your heart is the intentional practice of bringing your heart to the word of God so that it is informed and transformed by the God of the word. That's what we want. That's what each Christian should desire, to shepherd their heart, to bring their heart to God through his words so that they would be transformed and really conformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ so that he would be glorified in all of our lives. Shepherding your heart is absolutely crucial and is the key point that all of the things that we're, that we're spreading out into in this, in this class, all the things that we're going for center around. Shepherd your heart. If we grow in theology, if we grow in knowledge, if we grow in practical understanding, if we can memorize key dates and navigate our Bible, but we have not actually brought those truths to bear on our heart and had our heart affected by that, if we haven't grown in our love for God, if we haven't grown in our obedience and submission to him, then we will have failed. That's that's the measure. Past fail of this course is, are you seeking to grow in your love and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what we desire. And that comes through heart shepher- shepherding. That is not a passive pursuit. That if, hey, I just gotta go live my best life now and God will transform my heart and I'm gonna grow in faithfulness and it'll just happen. Let go and let God, let, let him do what he wants to do. That's not how the Christian life works. God actually calls us in his word to strive to labor, to intentionally renew our minds, to set our minds on things above, to pursue holiness, to be holy as he's holy. These are commands, these are instructions from God for his people to grow in godliness. And so this is something that we need to diligently apply ourselves to. And as we've even seen in Philippians up to this point, we know that when that happens, it is God who is at work in you. We saw that from Philippians 1 and verses 5 through 7. We'll see that again as we get into chapter 2, that we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. And that's God's wisdom in that, that we're called to diligently pursue godliness. And when that happens, we know that it is because God's spirit is working inside of us. And that is a a precious gift from the Lord, that he would do that work in us. So, turn to Ephesians 4 just for a minute this is a a real key scripture for uh, with with a lot of clarity for giving us instruction as to to what we're doing and why we're doing it Ephesians 4 starting in verse 11 Paul says and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and then He also, and some as pastors and teachers, and the pastors and teachers are for the equipping of the saints, and the saints we know are believers, holy ones, set-apart ones. So he gave pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, or the holy ones, or the set-apart ones, for the work of service. Believers are to serve. Believers are to have active ministry in the church. To what end? to the building up of the body of Christ. You see, it's really it's really crucial to understand that God's primary means of building up the body of Christ is not the church leaders. The church leaders are called to equip the saints so that the saints being joined with one another cause the Growth of the body, the building up of the body, and and Paul expounds on that. Keep reading, verse thirteen. The building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, this is for all of us, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, and this is is key, the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. And then we've got the main verb here in this clause. The main idea causes the growth of the body. And so if you were just to take subject verb, you would go the body, the whole body, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And that's what we're going after here. We want to equip you men To be able to function as God intends to grow up in maturity as we all must, right? This isn't, uh, hey, we're all immature, you're immature. This is, we are all called to be continually maturing and growing up in Christ. And so we all mature and as we mature together and we function properly, we as the church cause the growth of the church by the power of God that's how he works and that's what we're after here and so when we think about equipping men and equipping m- women it's for this purpose so that we could see this happen at gilbert bible church that we would function well together and and one of the sweet gifts of the lord has been how grace bible church went about planting and that they they had they sent their best in many regards i mean just the the sweetness to have a church plant Here a few months in with the level of love for the Lord love for one another desire for godliness practical godliness practical maturity to where we are already seeing just immediately the church being built up as we are functioning together as God intends and loves in love is just astounding and and wonderful. And we need to continue. We can't let our foot off the gas in that. We need to keep building upon the foundation that was laid through Grace Bible Church for us and keep pursuing these things. And then also just consider for a moment 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. It's most likely familiar to you that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that's why it's absolutely crucial that whatever instruction the pastors and teachers, the elders of the church are to bring, it must be grounded and rooted in Scripture. And Scripture is absolutely useful to equip us for every good work, to have us be ready. For what god would call us to do and be and so one of the key means of maximizing both your equipping for service and building up of the body one of the primary means of growing and maturing in faith one of the most fruitful means for growing in your love and relationship with christ comes back to your shepherding care for your heart and that's what we want to go after so as we seek to mature as we seek to be equipped we want to give you the tools that you need from God's word to be able to care for your heart appropriately that you would be conformed more and more into Christ's likeness for the glory of God so shepherding your heart the intentional practice of bringing your heart to the word of God so that it is informed and transformed by the God of the word Proverbs four twenty three. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to jump around just a little bit this morning, and I want to actually start in verse twenty. Proverbs four verse twenty. I think uh, some of you, many of you, most of you, are probably familiar with Proverbs four twenty three. Uh, sometimes we might miss what leads up to it. Solomon says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. And then what? Verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Now, just contextually reading that, He's actually told him how to watch over his heart just leading up to that. And it's keeping his word, giving attention to his word, inclining his ear to the sayings, not letting them depart from your sight, keeping them in the midst of your heart, their life to those who find them, health for the body. Keep your heart, watch your heart. Guard your heart would be another translation for that word watch. It's watch like a watchman in a fortified city, keeping the night watch with his eyes as intent as possible, knowing that he must be 100% or else intruders might come, sneak in through the darkness of night and invade. Keep your heart, guard your heart, watch in such a way over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. And he goes on to talk about putting away deceitful mouth and putting off sin. We must keep our heart. We must guard our heart. We must shepherd our hearts. And God's words will be the greatest means in conjunction with the spirit of God to that taking place effectively. So for clarity, what shepherding your heart is not? What, is, what, what do we not mean by shepherding your heart? Well, some of these things may be a part of shepherding your heart. But these things alone are not shepherding your heart checking boxes on a reading plan breezing through morning reading and checking the box is not shepherding your heart a designated time of reading your Bible each day and yet not submitting to the Lord with your life is not shepherding your heart listen knowing good theology being able to articulate spiritual truths verbally is not shepherding your heart pointing out what others are doing wrong is not shepherding your heart and listen as men this can come very naturally we can have keen eyes to all of the ways that those around us are falling short whether it's our wife whether it's our children whether it's co-workers somehow we just have this innate supernatural ability to identify the wrong going on around us. That is not shepherding your heart. Being proactive advocates for righteousness in others does not equal shepherding your heart. Winning arguments, being a good debater, being able to articulate truth and convince somebody of your way is not shepherding your heart. Listen, making fun of others who believe differently than we do, making light of others' beliefs is not shepherding your heart. Doing good things for our society and culture is not shepherding your heart. So what is shepherding your heart? What is it if it's not primarily those, any one of those things? Well, listen, we, we go to the word of God to meet with the God of the word. That's shepherding your heart. The goal is to learn how to love God more, to have your belief in the reality of who God is and what God has done in the gospel, to have that impact your life for righteousness is shepherding your heart. This involves ingre- agreeing with God about Him, wh- about you, about what is right and good and how you conduct yourself in life's various circumstances in light of these truths is shepherding your heart. Andrew. Yes. Go to the word of God to meet with the God of the word. Absolutely. Go, go to the word of God to meet with the God of the word. It is to know God from his word and have that knowledge of God transform your life more and more into the likeness of our savior Jesus Christ. That's what we're going after. And so checking a box on your reading, designated time to read your bible and pray. Those things in and of themselves may not be shepherding your heart. However, they are absolutely having an intentional plan of how you're going to navigate through scripture it may not have to be a reading plan it may or may not it might be you know whatever you're deciding to do in that season but having a plan is absolutely wise for what you're going to do to bring your heart to god's word intentional time with the lord daily absolutely necessary to grow in godliness to renew your mind to guard your heart to set your mind on what is true and right, to fellowship with God worshipfully, helpful tools. But it's for the purpose of knowing God, of growing in love for God, of growing in holiness before God. And so you meet with God in prayer and reading scripture to see God in the word and to align your thoughts with God throughout the day. And this is crucial too. When we think about shepherding our hearts, sometimes there's a temptation to narrow it to that 30 minutes or 45 minutes or five minutes or hour in the morning. Or if you're really spiritual, the five hours that Tom spends, with, no, I'm just joking. The, the time that you spend with the Lord in, in the morning is absolutely crucial, not just for that time. But what are you going to do when you're checking out at the grocery store and they hand you $20 extra? What are you going to do when you have to revisit the same issue with a customer service person for whatever you're dealing with 10 times because they can't get it right? Are you going to explode with an outburst of anger? What's going to happen when you step into your home and Your wife hasn't met your expectations for that day and your children are being disobedient and there's strife among them or they're just having a meltdown. See, what we do with our hearts for that 30 minutes or whatever time we designate must bleed into it, must saturate the whole of our lives so that our thinking is in tune with God's word so that we can navigate life's various issues in a way that pleases God. So you read God's word you meet with God you worship God you communicate with God in prayer you hear from God from his word from scripture from the Bible. And then you present your life as a living sacrifice as Romans 12 would call the believer to and when tempted to sin you take the way of escape that God has promised from first Corinthians 10 13 right there's no temptation that it seized you but what is common to man and with the temptation there is a way of escape and so you take that because your heart is set on the Lord and you love him and you want to please him and so you grow in godliness so as we said before the word of God as we said before, the word of God working in conjunction with the spirit of God in the life of the believers is really the greatest aid to growing in godliness. And so we're primarily going to be looking at what God's word has to say about various issues as we work through EQ together we'll be covering what we refer to as disciplines 1 2 and 3 which I'll talk about in a morning in, in a moment and just give an overview we'll be discussing that giving a summary but they're primarily summarized in in the single words heart home ministry so when we think about shepherding our heart we need to shepherd our heart first us we need to then bring that into our homes and we need to also be faithful to what God has called us to as part of the body of Christ and be faithful in ministry that the Lord has for us so that's what this is all about that's what we're aiming at that's what we're going after that we would be men who love the Lord who pursue him who meet with him and are equipped to be faithful before him as we grow in maturity and godliness what are the expectations And uh, today is kind of a an overview big-picture day we're gonna talk a little bit about bibliology we're gonna talk about our Bibles a little bit but this first part by and large is just an overview and and so we'll kind of be skimming through a few different things but first of all expectations for your participation in EQ first of all is uh, pick a reading plan and stick to it Uh, ideally something like reading through the Bible in a year Um, that's your primary homework is Meet with the Lord daily and and whatever that looks like for you, find time in your day to spend with the Lord. I highly recommend first thing in the morning, uh, spend time with the Lord, spend time in prayer and have a plan, an intentional plan. There's a recommended plan in the back just as an example that kind of takes you through. If you have questions, if you've never done a Bible reading plan and you have questions, um, come talk to me. I would love to talk to you about various plans and options and kind of the the benefits of various plans and, and how you might go through it also in reading uh, through the Bible and and doing that faithfully especially if you're doing a read through the Bible in a year picking themes or things to look for as you read just to see the continuity of Scripture maybe about character of God I'm gonna just make notes on things that I see about the character of God, God's love, God's grace, God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's wrath, God's mercy uh, can be a a helpful aid as you just work your way through scripture and exposing your heart to the entirety of scripture and seeing the continuity uh, through that is is extremely encouraging and incredibly helpful. Uh, Participation, prayerful contemplation of the lessons is expected an eagerness to serve others in your participation. Uh, For some of us, that'll mean speaking up more when it's uncomfortable, particularly in breakout groups and such, but speaking up more when it's uncomfortable. For others, it might be speaking less, which may be uncomfortable. Okay, you know who you are. I'm with you on that one. That's my challenge. I need to speak less in those situations. Give others an opportunity to provide input, but just participate. Be here, be involved, uh, contemplate the lessons also a way that you can participate is is if you're married interact with your spouse on these things interact with your wife uh, if she's taking EQ on Saturdays there will be an, an especially sweet benefit of being able to um, talk through the lessons together because they're very similar what what will be going through with the men and what the women will be covering are very similar and so the opportunity to, to talk through those things will be a great benefit uh, attend when you're able and listen to the lessons, the recordings of the lessons when you're absent, if at all possible. There's not formal homework. Um, or there's not assignments that you'll have to complete and turn in. Uh, we're gonna just expect you to put into this what you can, and typically you reap what you sow, and so what you put into it will be a measure of what you're able to glean from it, and we understand You all are serving in many ways and participating in body life and have fellowship group commitments and family commitments and work obligations. And so there's not formal homework that you'll be completing at this point. However, there are questions for consideration at the end of each lesson that can be kind of a launching pad for discussion in your group time together. And also things for you just to ponder on your own or with your wife at home afterwards. So each session will have a. Uh, um, questions for consideration also there's growing in biblical literacy which there's going to be a section and we'll get there eventually this morning of resources for you to work through to grow and being able to navigate your Bible know where God's Word speaks to various issues so that as you are faced with difficult issues in life maybe you're struggling in your marriage and you're going oh man I just find myself always short with my wife I'm just, I can, I can be long suffering with people all day at work and put up with all sorts of garbage. And then I get home and the first thing my wife says, I'm, I'm jumping down her throat. What is wrong with me? How can I, man, this is tough. Well, go to Ephesians five. Look at what God says about the call for the believer, for the husband in their care for their wife. Go to Colossians three and see that God calls you to love your wife and to not be embittered against her. Lord, help me agree with you. Help me at the heart level to not be embittered towards my wife, but be a man who loves my wife and know God's word and how to navigate God's word so that you can bring it to bear on life's various issues. And so there'll be a time for you to navigate those things. All right, that's a brief overview and expectations. Any questions at this point? Hey, either I am a phenomenal communicator or I communicated so quickly you have no clue even what to ask. Or I'm so intimidating that you're scared of me. That's, that's the one. RIM! Okay, we got it. <laughs> Colossians 3. If you go to Colossians 3, I think it's 23... Sword drills, I expect Jeff to win. Nope, that's whatever you do, work heartily. 19, Colossians 3, 19. Husbands, love your wives, do not be embittered against them. Yep. Okay, moving along. Overview of the biblical disciplines of the Christian life. We're going to talk just briefly on the heart, the home, and the ministry. And we're going to unpack these over the course of the semester as we get further into this. We're going to spend time intentionally actually repetitively on each of these disciplines so we'll so if you go well that was brief i i'm still kind of struggling to get my mind around what that looks like that's okay we're going to cover this more over the course of the semester but this is just so that we have a a working definition of what we mean when we talk about discipline one shepherd your heart discipline two shepherd your home discipline three be faithful in ministry number one The heart, discipline heart. A, A basic overview of this biblical discipline is this. The faithful Christian shepherds their heart and bring that definition, what we talked about earlier, worshipfully toward God through the word of God. And that's again, we want to... Open up the word of God to meet with the God of the word. That's what we're getting after. We want to bring God's word to bear on our lives, on our innermost being. We do not want to be men that are polished on the inside and falling apart, are polished on the outside and falling apart internally. We do not want to be men who have it all together at work, have it all together at church, have it all together with our friends, and we go home and we are an absolute mess inside. We want who we are in the private of our home to be the, the, greatest, the greatest demonstration of our true self and our devotion to the Lord. We want to be consistent. We want to be faithful. We want to be steadfast. We want who we are at work and who we are at church and who we are in our neighborhoods to be consistent with who we are in our home and who we are when our wives away and our kids are away and we're at home alone. Who are you then? Who are you when nobody you know is watching? We want to be faithful. We want to be consistent. We want to be godly, godly faithful men. And so we shepherd our heart intentionally. The home, what do we mean by this? Discipline two. The home, the faithful Christian is concerned for those in their home and ministers to them in accordance to their role with their heart fixed on god and his word listen as we are men of the word as we are men who shepherd our hearts it must impact our home first and listen as men you are given by god through his creative order a leadership in your role in your home that is your role when we talk about a faithful christian being concerned for those in their home and ministering to them in accordance to their role. Your role is as a leader. You are to lead. Now your leadership and how you view leadership is everything. And you're called to lead like Christ. Christ Christ-like, humble, chief servant, dying to yourself for the good of those around you. Leadership is what each of us are called to bring into our homes. And so the the greatest aid to us being able to embrace that role and be faithful in our home is that we are caring for our hearts well first. It has to start there. It has to start there. If we neglect our own heart care and think that we can step into our home and lead and serve in the direction that is pleasing to God, it's naive at best and foolish most likely. And so the faithful Christian, the faithful man of God, is going to be concerned first and foremost for those in their home. And this is also absolutely important for us as men to remember our primary responsibility as men of the Lord to care for our wives, to care for our children, to shepherd and serve and and love our wives diligently, to instruct and train and love and serve our children faithfully. It has to start there. We can't be hypocrites. We can't run headfirst into all areas of service and care and encouragement particularly of leadership exercising leadership roles elsewhere whether it's our jobs or the church and neglect that in our home we must be faithful we know Jesus words faithful with little faithful with much we have to be faithful in the spheres that are most close to us and let that faithfulness grow itself out to broader spheres the temptation for many is to neglect their home leapfrog over it and to step into influence in a more public setting, right? And that's typically uh, uh, revealing fear of man, love of self, desire for praise, desire for approval of man. Few look into our home and compliment us Man, your wife is just so submissive to your leadership. You must be such a great leader in the home. You must be so followable. Great job. You, you receive that much less than you receive. Oh, that was a great lesson you taught. Oh, your leadership here was so awesome. Oh, you, you don't hear your care for your children, life-changing. What you did that I never saw or heard about with your child and showing patients the 10th time that they wouldn't go to bed quietly, changed my life forever you you just don't hear that but oh man that lesson you taught or that study you led or that service that you rendered and so it's it's helpful even in purifying our own motives and crucifying our own pride be faithful be faithful in your homes and then number three, the ministry, discipline three, the ministry, the faithful Christian with a heart fixed on keeping their God-given ministry within the home, a priority, so faithfulness there, then steps into the church and every additional part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. We're going to talk about these in much more discipline, or much more detail rather, as we go. Okay. I want to talk just briefly about growing in biblical literacy. And again, we're setting the stage for a number of things that we'll be covering when we're together. We're going to spend some time each each time, each session that we're together, probably somewhere around five to ten minutes, just working to sharpen each other in our biblical literacy our ability to navigate our bibles so what types of things are we going to cover well understanding broad categories of systematic theology things like bibliology theology proper ecclesiology we'll be covering some of those things in more depth uh, and have even some some lessons or multiple lessons devoted to some of those things but we're also going to work on just some, some much more uh, tangible or practical issues as far as knowing key dates, events, themes in the Bible, knowing specific passages in the Bible that speak to specific issues, and we'll cover that uh, just briefly at the end again this morning. But uh, just so that you know what we mean by biblical literacy, uh, we're going to spend a little time probably on the front end covering that together in uh, each of our times together. All right, before we jump into bibliology, we're going to take our last 20 minutes here and uh, work through bibliology a little bit. We're going to talk about that this week and the next. Uh, Any questions? Any questions, comments up to this point? Okay, the word of God. This, is, uh, this really needs to be a foundation for us that we build on, is our understanding of God's word and what we believe about God's word and why. Uh, the study, the theological term for scripture is bibliology. And so even what we're talking about this morning is, uh, is categorized by bibliology. But really to, to boil it down, it's just what do we believe about the word of God, and particularly scripture, the Bible. What do we believe about that? We're going to be spending some time this week and next uh, talking about the Word of God from Scripture. What you believe about the Bible is absolutely fundamental. It is, it is an essential part of Christianity because the Bible is the exclusive true source for all Christian truth. All Christian doctrine, theology, theology. Christian practices they're founded they are they should be founded upon and based on Scripture all Christian doctrine doctrine theology and practice practices should be founded and based on Scripture in fact nothing will have a greater practical impact on your beliefs than Scripture therefore what you believe about the Bible is crucial And there really is a domino effect, either for good or for bad, in your life, in your faith, regarding what you believe about God's word. Everything based on what you believe about God's word is is impacted. And our earnest desire at Gilbert Bible Church, what we want is that we would be wholly submitted to Scripture. Scripture is our authority. It is from God. It is God's word. God is God. Therefore, Scripture is our authority. What this means is that whatever is true about the character of God is, is also true about God. God, that is the person of God and Scripture. Everywhere in Scripture, they're interla- interrelated. God is, the, rather, the person of Scripture, God. Excuse me, let me say this again. God, the person, and Scripture, everywhere in Scripture, is interrelated. There we go. That was confusing. So God and his word from Scripture What he says about himself and his word, they are interrelated. So everything that comes from scripture about God is true of God. (coughs) Excuse me. Whatever is true about the character of God is also true about the nature of scripture. God is true. God is impeccable. God is consistent. God is righteous. God is pure. Therefore, his word is this as well. If his word were not those things, those things would not be true of God. And so we must yield our lives to scripture. In light of this, what you believe about God's word in reality demonstrates what you believe about God. They're connected. You can't say, well, I believe scripture is kind of from God. But no, God's all powerful and true and can do whatever he wants. If you actually believe in the God of scripture, you can't say that. They're connected. And scripture is unlike any other book. It's unlike any other literature written by man. Scripture is is living. It is active. It is certain or true in every regards. Scripture describes itself as cleansing, it nourishes, it sanctifies. And the psalmist frequently refers to the word of God as as having infinite valuable uh value, more more valuable than all the treasures of the world. More valuable than all riches. The word of God can bring to your life what money, what possessions could never purchase, what prestige could never attain for you. What God's word can bring to your life and does bring to the Christian's life is truly unique. You can't find it anywhere else but in God's word itself. The wisdom of any man is but foolishness in contrast to God's wisdom. And God has chosen to share and to communicate his wisdom to mankind through his word in scripture. My mic back on. As we talk about God's word. And the importance of god's word we're going to cover just just a brief history of the bible and a lot of this material most of this material has come from john macarthur's uh, systematic theology biblical doctrine it is a a phenomenal resource if you're looking for kind of the the biggest bang for your buck of an all-in-one systematic theology i highly recommend that so history of the bible As we contemplate the importance of scripture, we must consider how it is that we can be sure that God's word is in fact God's word. Well, it was, first of all, recognized by the early church and recognized as canonical, 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 yeah, canonical, there we go, got it, canonical, and has been passed down to us without loss or distortion of material. We must know this, but how? Well, we also must know this in light of the fact knowing that the devil's primary tactics of attack is on scripture itself. Satan, one of his earliest tactics was to undermine the word of God. Satan denied God's word to Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. Later, he sought to distort the scripture to Jesus in the wilderness He even sought to literally destroy the physical scripture in Jeremiah 36, 23. However, regardless of these attacks, the reality is God's word has and will continue to endure against all enemies. God has promised to preserve his word, and so it is so. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever forever. In light of this, no inspired scripture has been lost in the past, and no scripture has been yet undiscovered. What we have is God's word. We can have full confidence of this. God's truth and purpose in scripture will never be thwarted. God in his divine sovereign power has preserved scripture This is referred to as the the doctrine of preservation and this refers to the acts of God whereby he has preserved through the centuries the written record of his special revelation for his people. This act of preservation is accomplished through both specific instruction given by God over the years to his people and how to care for his word as well as divine providence. God using earthly means men to preserve his word psalm 119 152 the psalmist says long have i known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever jesus himself in matthew five eighteen talks about the the jot and tittle or the iota and the dot and jesus point here is clear That God means everything he says, and nothing will keep God from accomplishing everything he has declared. To the, the largest thing, to the smallest thing, God is faithful. Jesus' point is that everything God has said will take place. God will both preserve and fulfill everything he has spoken. It's in his nature. He's trustworthy. He's righteous. He does not lie. And God has used the providential means working through faithful men to preserve Scripture. And so the Bible, having one divine author, was written over 1,500 years ago through the pens of over 40 men. And Scripture, as we know, begins with Moses recording the creation account in Genesis around 1405 B.C., we see this creation account in chapters 1 and 2, and scripture ends with the account of eternity, eternity future in Revelation 21 and 22. And that's recorded by the Apostle John in AD 95. So how can we know that what we have today is actually what was supposed to be included in our Bible? How can we have this confidence? Well, for the New Testament, over the centuries, there were three widely recognized principles that were used to validate various writings as being scripture that was agreed upon. Writing had to have been authored, or auth- yeah, authored by a recognized prophet or apostle or by someone closely associated with them. The writing, number two, could not disagree with or contradict any previous scripture. And number three, the church had to display a general consensus, consensus that a, a writing was an inspired book. We're going to talk a little bit about the confirmation of this and the authority of scripture in a moment, but this was the common practice in the early church and the development of our canon. The Old Testament, by the time of Christ, had been acknowledged by the Jewish community the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, had been finished about 430 B.C. Christ's time, the Old Testament, was divided into two lists. Okay, So the Old Testament and Christ's day, two lists. One was of 22 books. The other list was of 24 books. But each of them contained the same content. The content wasn't different. Rather, they just packaged certain books together and so the material was the same even as our 39 books that we have in our modern Bible they just combined books and so for example the minor prophets were considered the 12 and were packaged together as one Jeremiah and Lamentations were considered one book Judges and Ruth first and second Samuel and so on and yet since around AD three fifty, the 27 books of the New Testament have been universally accepted as inspired by God thus the canon of Scripture was established and the canon of scripture refers to the church's recognition and acceptance of the books of scripture as God's inspired word. This word comes from the Greek word canon, which originally meant a rod or a reed and then that was used to indicate a unit of measure, a way of measuring things. And so thus the, the standard or the rule of what was inspired scripture was established. And it was in the middle of the 4th century AD that the term was used to speak of the Bible as the inspired true word of God. Athanasius first used the term canon for scripture in the decrees of the Council of Nicaea, and the books that had already been agreed as being scripture were now considered to be canon. So it wasn't at that point the words were then determined to be scripture, The books were already considered by the early church to be scriptured and they were packaged together as one unit within the standard of measure that was being expressed or used. And so this the the canon is the collection of divinely authoritative words. This this standard of measure and affirmation wasn't the initiation of them being scripture. They were already viewed as scripture. It was the establishment, the unified establishment in the, Unity, in the early church that all these books now make up the entirety. So they were simply affirming what was already true. The church or the people of God did not determine which books were inspired by God and thus our scripture, and that's crucial to understand. The writings themselves are vested with the authority of God on the basis of divine inspiration. They are the word of God because they were written under the Spirit's inspiration. Men recognized them for what they were, and they did not decree them to be something. Rather, they recognized them as what they, in fact, were. So, the canon of Scripture is based on the fact of it being inspired, not on the process or means that did the collecting. God's word is inspired. It is Scripture. It's not Scripture because it was collected. Do you understand the difference? Excellent. So with that in mind, let's talk for a few moments about what inspiration is. What is inspiration? Well, it's this. God superintended the human authors of the Bible so that they composed and recorded without error his message to mankind in the words of their original writings. God has chosen to reveal himself to mankind. There are primarily two ways that he has done this. The first is considered general revelation. What would be examples of general revelation? Yeah, Jim. Say it again. Nature. Nature. Yep. His divine attributes being revealed through nature itself. God reveals himself through nature. Special revelation, rather, is more specific. God's word. God reveals himself directly and in greater detail through special revelation. This has come through direct acts, dreams, visions, Christ's incarnation, and for our day, scripture. What we have today is scripture. Now, as it relates to inspiration, there are varying views on how God inspired the human authors. We hold to verbal plenary inspiration. What does that mean? God, through his spirit, inspired every word pinned by the human authors in each of the 66 books of the bible in the original documents god acted directly on the human authors and this resulted in the creation of perfectly written revelation from god the holy spirit used individual personalities language style and historical context of each written to produce divinely authoritative writings. Thus men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and what they wrote was God breathed. This is divine superintendence that God would do this. God produced the scriptures by influencing the human author's own thoughts, and this resulted in authoritative and inerrant words written by the authors. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is God breathed it comes from God exhale ex exhaled by God because the word of God came from God himself through men it was protected from human error in its original record by the ministry of the Holy Spirit what are some other views well there's the dictation theory God gave human authors the precise words to write and this removes the human author's own personality or language or characteristics. Uh, The author was just simply an instrument. There's partial or conceptual theory. God gave them the general idea of what to write, and then they went and wrote what they thought fit within that general idea. There's the natural theory. They found inspiration from the writing of Scripture, not from God, but from within themselves. And all of those are false. We hold that God inspired god breathed the the human authors and they wrote as god did so scripture is inspired we must must also understand that scripture is inerrant there is an errancy in scripture inherency the inerrancy of scripture means that scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact how many times have you heard we can't trust the bible there's errors in the Bible. It contradicts itself over and over. It's been translated, therefore, we can't trust the Bible. Uh, this is extremely consequential. If, if some of Scripture cannot be trusted, how do you know what to trust? Right? If, if we don't have an answer for that, how do we know what we do trust? God's very character and nature is at stake in this. Inerrancy means literally without error. And we hold that the Bible and its original copies were without error thus when properly interpreted they do not affirm anything that is untrue or contrary to fact now surely God chose to speak through men in ways that use figure of speech and generalities and estimates and you know general numbers if it says there were two million well is that an error because there could have been two million and one well first of all it could have just been two million but it, was, it would be a normal practice within the use of language to summarize a group with an estimate. And so that doesn't nullify this reality simply because God used to use human means and normal use of language in his communication. So since these words are from God himself, they must be inerrant, otherwise God has error. God is the God of truth who cannot lie. So if there is error, he would be false. Now every book was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and was in their original autographs without error as a result of divine inspiration. However, none of the original manuscripts are in existence today. Copies were made and copies of copies and thousands of manuscripts were passed down over the centuries and copies are subject to errors due to the fallibility of human involvement. While God did not extend the miracle of inspiration to the copying and translation process, God providentially has preserved copies and translations to the extent that they accurately reproduce the content of the original. There are thousands of manuscripts that consistently convey the truth from the original documents. This has been done at mind-blowing reliability rates. If you were to compare the process of textual criticism, which is the technical term for navigating scripture documents and putting together old texts, If you were to take the statistics of what we have in scripture versus any other book in history, it's astronomical how much evidence we have for scripture versus every other book. So this gets into textual criticism, which deals with the manuscripts. The main point is that while only the original manuscripts were inerrant, how God has providentially preserved scripture gives us confidence that the copying process superintended by God has preserved the doctrine of inerrancy in that translations can be trusted. They can be called the word of God as long as they accurately reflect the content of the original manuscripts. Some believe that we've had copies of copies and copies and copies and copies and in their mind they equate that to all we have are the most recent copies and therefore our translation can't be trusted. This is false. We have copies as early as the second century of, of scripture. We have pieces and fragments of manuscripts and so on and it, and it increases exponentially as you get into the fourth century and fifth century and sixth century especially. So it's not like all we have are manuscripts that have been copy, copied 300 times from the 16th century and we don't have anything prior to that. Actually we have a whole trail of manuscripts and they validate that copying process. So the Bible is the inerrant uh, John MacArthur summarizes it this way the Bible is the inerrant infallible word of God and is the result of divine inspiration which produced divinely authoritative and factual accounts that are truthful in what they record this doctrine applies directly to the original autographs and indirectly to the texts and translations of today. All right we were going to look at authority we're going to save that for next week. So we're going to pause there, but I do just want to look briefly (coughs) at the um, ministry passages in the next section. So if you turn to the right next week, we're going to cover authority. We'll look at uh, biblical hermeneutic. We're going to talk about the Bible in my heart. And uh, if we have time, we'll look at does God still speak? We'll we'll answer that question together. So that's what the uh, agenda is for our next gathering. Before we split into groups. Each week I'm gonna bring a list of of what I'm just gonna refer to as ministry passages. This is for our growing in biblical literacy. What I would recommend is that you, whatever way is helpful for you, make note cards, uh, take a picture on your phone, something. But the way that these are intended to be used is uh, to understand the theme and then to remember book, chapter. Okay, so to remember book, chapter, theme, to grow in your ability to navigate god's word and and know where to go for various issues in scripture so as you can see there the disciplines here's some passages that you can work to grow to understand to reinforce the principle of these disciplines these are not exhaustive this is like we're talking one of hundreds that we could go to but as we do this a couple times a month we'll grow in our repertoire of resources to know where to go to navigate life's various issues from God's word. So discipline one, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. So if my recommendation for how to use this would be to memorize, oh, Proverbs four, guard your heart, watch your heart, keep your heart, however you, wanna, however you wanna remember that. So if I'm thinking, oh, I need to shepherd my heart, what's a passage that talks about shepherding my heart? Where can I go? Proverbs four, keep your heart, watch your heart. Okay, discipline two, Ephesians 5, instruction for husbands and wives. So you'd memorize Ephesians 5, instructions for husbands and wives. Now at home, this is part of your put into it, reap and sow and all of that. I strongly encourage going home and reading just the verses around each of these passages to see the passage, to understand it in context, what's going on so that you understand it. And I put references there. So for example, 522 through 33, you can read that section and see God's instruction for husbands and wives. Discipline three, Ephesians four, what we looked at earlier, fourteen through sixteen. The word of God. So these are passages that uh, talk about the word of God. Hebrews four, the word is living and active. Second Timothy three, scripture is God-breathed and useful. Psalm 19, this is especially helpful. Psalm 19 is, is wonderful because you've got the first several verses talk about God revealing himself through what we call general revelation earlier. And then the latter verses talk about God revealing himself through special revelation. So if you want to see one chapter that really puts forth in a beautiful, wonderful way, both of those realities, Psalm 19 is there. And then Psalm 119 is just something that we should all review regularly. It's just verse after verse after verse about how useful and amazing God's word is. So worship in the word, Psalm 119. Any questions on that, on how to use those ministry passages?